Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did give your life away for us so many thousands of years ago. And as we enter into this new year, Lord, I pray that we all standing in your presence in this place will have a resolve to serve you as never before, that we'll run hard after the heart of God, that we'll want what you want for us and for our families, for our church, that we will pay whatever price. Lord, we will read your word. We will pray with those we love. We will invite others to the house of God. We will seek your face. Lord, only you know what we're going to face this year. No doubt some of us are going to face some hard times, physically, financially, relationally. But your promise to each of us is you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, you didn't forsake us in 2009, and we know you will not forsake us in this new year. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being here in our midst. Now, Lord, help us to listen and hear from you from the lips of this humble person. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. My name is David Blackburn. For you that may not know, I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Fellowship. And I have the uh, privilege this morning of bringing the first message in 2010. And it's hard to even rem- to think about that, 2010. You remember the, the Y2K scare? It's been 10 years that we thought that the world was going to come to an end by the way of our computers crashing and all of that. By the way, how are you doing with your New Year's resolutions? Now, if you're having trouble with them or think you may have trouble in the future, I want to give you something that I found on a website called resolutionreminders.com. That's resolutionreminders.com. And they've been around since 1997. And you can go there to get help in keeping your resolutions. And here's what they say about themselves. They say, if you really need someone to hound you into doing something good for yourself, you've found the right service. You know, as I read that, I thought, do people really need to be hounded about some of these things? And here are some things they will hound you or help you, depending on your perspective, okay? They'll help you when it comes to eating healthier. They'll help you if you want to quit smoking this year or exercise more or save money or get organized, spend more time with your family or volunteer more. Those all sound good, but I have a hard time making resolutions and keeping them, so I've kind of just don't do that anymore. But if you want to make some resolutions for 2010... I have some that I can guarantee ironclad you can keep these. So you might want to write them down. Gain weight. And I'd shoot for at least 10 pounds. You can do that. I can tell the way you're acting. Read less. Procrastinate more. Spend more time at work. Stop exercising. Focus on the faults of others. That's a good one. And last, 
watch more TV. Now, these are ones we can keep, but I'm going to recommend we don't try to do that. We've just finished a great series called Wonderland. And next week, as Ann said, we're heading into a new series called There's an App for That. You're going to want to be here. Don't miss a, don't, don't miss a week. And here's a thought. How about inviting a coworker or friend to come with you during this series? Recently, I read a, an amazing statistic. It said 73% of people who don't attend church have never been asked to attend church. So that's three out of four people who don't attend church anywhere have never been asked by anyone to go to church. Now, no one knows what would happen if those people were asked, but I believe that many of them would say, yeah, I'll go with you at least one time. And if they come to Faith Fellowship, we're going to love on them. They're going to enjoy the wonderful music and the great teaching. And I believe God's going to really do something great for us in 2010. But we've got to ask them, so ask them. Today I want to talk to you about something that will help us in 2010 in every area of our lives. I want to talk about love. Here are some statements from a children's book on love. The book's entitled, Love is Like a Crayon Because It Comes in All Colors. Well, Camille, age nine, was asked how to get someone to fall in love with you. And she said, shake your hips and hope for the best. (laughs) I think some of you 19-year-olders are doing that too. Tammy, age 10, was asked about kissing. She said, it's never okay to kiss a boy. They always slobber all over you, and that's why I stopped doing it. Smart girl. Now, 10-year-old Bobby was asked if he knew any love songs, and he said, yeah, here's one. I'm in love with you most of the time, but don't bother me when I'm with my friends. Well, children have a certain perspective on love, and love is a very strong force. It's produced broken hearts, goosebumps, loss of appetite, and starry eyes. Have you ever written a love letter? I've written a couple in my life, and I'm sure you have too, but none like this. It said, Dearest Tom, no words could express the great unhappiness I've felt since breaking off our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart. So please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Susie. P.S. Congratulations on winning the big lotto. I wonder about the motivation there on that one, yeah. Love may make the world go round, but it causes a lot of confusion in the process. Here are two popular misconceptions about love. One is that love is only a feeling. Way back when, when I was in high school, the Righteous Brothers had a hit song in 1965, a number one hit song. And BMI, which is Broadcast Music Incorporated, said that it was the song that was played the most in the 20th century. And I even asked Tom about it. I said, I can't believe that. 
You think of all the great songs we've heard in our lives that we've all lived in the 20th century. That this song was played more in jukeboxes and on the radio than any other song. Do you know the name of that song by the Righteous Brothers? Now stand and sing it, will you? <laughs> You've lost that love and feeling. Great song. And maybe it was the most played song because people believe that love is just a feeling. They believe that love is just some kind of emotion. And consequently, those people are always searching for that love and feeling, that special emotion of love. You know, people talk about falling in and out of love, which basically means we either experience that love and feeling or we don't. Well, the second misconception about love is this, that love is out of our control. Now, there are some other great songs in the 60s, songs by the Beatles, the Beach Boys, Elvis. We go way back to 1961. There was a song that hit number seven on Billboard's Top 100. And the name of the song was Who Put the Bomp? B-O-M-P. Who Put the Bomp? And I'm sure you're going to remember these classic lyrics. And I was going to sing it, but I'm too chicken to do that. So it's who put the bump and the bump, the bump, the bump. Who put the ram and the ramalama ding dong? Who put the bop and the bop, shabop, the bop? Who put the dip and the dip, the dip, the dip? Who was that man? I'd like to shake his hand. He made my baby fall in love with me. You remember that song, don't you? Well, I don't know if the bump, the bump, or the boop, shabop, or whatever word I'm saying here, the ramalama ding dong. Make somebody fall in love with you or not. But I do know that love is more than just a feeling. And love is a choice within our control. In 2010, we, as followers of God, need a much better love and a higher and a more intense, mature love and what is found in you've lost that love and feeling or who put the bomb. We need a love that can make a difference in our homes, our relationships, our church, and our world. The Bible tells us many things about love, and two of them are this. Love is a matter of choice, and love is a matter of conduct. I want you to read this passage of Scripture with me. Colossians 3, 12 and 14. Let's read it together. You are God's chosen people. You are holy and dearly loved. So put on tender mercy and kindness as if they were your clothes. Don't be proud. Be gentle and patient. Put up with each other. Forgive the things that you are holding against one another. Forgive just as the Lord forgave you. And over all of those good things, put on love. Love holds them all together perfectly as if they were one. We see here that as God's people, we are to choose love after we have chosen the attitudes and behaviors of mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. 
Paul said love was going to hold all these other good virtues together. And friends, God wouldn't ask us to put on something as if you would a coat to come out for church on a cold morning like this if we could not control or choose to do so. God knows that love is a matter of choice for all of us. We choose every day in a variety of situations whether we are going to put on love or not put on love. Love is also a matter of conduct. In 1 John 3.18, it says, Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. You see, claiming to love with your words is not enough. It's more than just what we say. It's behavior that really counts. Love is not just sentiment, but deeds. John here tells us to back up what we say about love with action. A guy was always telling his girlfriend, he said, honey, I love you so much, I would just die for you. And she said, oh, you're always telling me that, but you never do it. I don't think this girl realized exactly what she was saying, but I know what was in her heart and what she was trying to tell her boyfriend. You know, you say you love me, but then show me by your actions. You know, we've heard it many times, but it's worth repeating. Actions speak louder than what? Than words. Have you ever wondered where love comes from? Do you have some time to think about it? New Year's Day? And putting this message together, I thought, you know, where, where does love come from? Why is there any love at all in the world? In the midst of all the violence and the hatred and the murder and the war, we can lose sight of the fact that there is still a lot of love in this world. And I believe it's because of this verse right here. God is love. God is the very essence and heart of love. We know from Scripture that he is spirit, John 4, 24, and that he is light, 1 John 1, 5. But we must never forget that first and foremost, God is love. You know, the love that is in each heart in this building today is there because God put it there. Every act of kindness, every ounce of compassion, and every deed of love comes from the one who is love, God. You know, just a few weeks ago, we put the angel tree tags on the tree in the commons area. I had worked with Angel Tree before in other churches. But I'm going to tell you, friends, I was just blown away by your response to children that you'll probably never see who have a parent that's incarcerated. And how you took those Angel Tree tags 
and you went out to the store and you bought a present and you wrapped it and you brought it back. I got to see some of those kids on December 20th in the afternoon on a Sunday. Some of them came to pick up their presents. I wish you all could have seen the smiles on their face. And I want to thank you as one of the pastors here because you touched my heart by what you did. And I know that that act of love and compassion that you exhibited toward those children, you did it because the God who is love put some of his love in your heart to love those children. Since God is love and we want to learn more about how to love in 2010, we would be wise to turn to God's instructions concerning love. At the information desk, we have some reading guides for the Bible. Last year, on the first Sunday of the year, I challenged you to read through the New Testament, and I'm sure some of you did that. This year, we have some other guides. We have the New Testament reading guide. We also have one that will take you through the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs, and one will take you all the way from Genesis to Revelation. So you have three options out there, and I would encourage you, it's not too late to get started. Friends, you need to hide God's word in your heart a little bit every day. Do you know which chapter in the Bible is considered the love chapter? Anybody know? You hear it a lot on wedding time. What was it it I heard somebody say it? 1 Corinthians 13. I want to read the first eight verses of that from the message translation. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, But I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. So in 2010... How can we keep love alive in our relationships, in our church, in our communities, and in the world? Because what I believe is the world and people in it, no matter how small that world to the the earth, are looking for people of God that will exhibit love to them. I want us to see four things this morning. From 1 Corinthians 13, love is alive when it has patience, dead when it can't wait. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 
says, love is patient. I don't know about you, but patience for many of us, including myself, is not easily come by. And I've worked all my life, and I'm at now way on the far end of my life, to try to work with this thing called patience. No doubt you've heard the prayer of patience. It goes like this. Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. (laughs) I prayed that a few times. In fact, it's very hard at times to be patient with the waitress, the bank teller, the inquisitive little three-year-old, your mom, your spouse, and we could go on and on, couldn't we? Now, God wants us to make allowances for other people and be patient with them as we remember that God is so patient with us. In Romans 5, 8, it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. So while you and I were unloving and unwilling to come to God, he was willing to be patient and wait on us. And those of us that have accepted the offer of salvation, we're so glad that he did wait on us. Now God wants us to do the same for others who test our patience. And I can guarantee you in the year 2010, you're going to have your patience tested. Well, another thing from 1 Corinthians 13 is love is alive when it cares, dead when it ignores. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, love is kind. Someone has defined kindness as the ability to care for each other in the practical details of life. Last fall, there was a gentleman in our church that His car quit, and he didn't have the resources and the funds to to take his car to a shop and and have it worked on. So another man in our church who got it gifted with the ability to work on automobiles said, you know something, I'm going to come over, and I'm going to help you. And it was one of those cold, damp fall days. And he spent all day working on this gentleman's car. And when they put the key in and And turned the ignition, it started. And I'm sure there were lots of praise the Lord and hallelujahs going around. But it reminded me how kindness plays out between people, whether they're going to the same church or they don't go to the same church. It plays out between people in the everyday events of life. We live in a world where kindness is in short supply. Like the story of a woman waiting for a bus to go home after work. She looked around and she saw a shabbily dressed man also waiting for the bus. And just then another man walked up to that shabbily dressed man and and gave him some money and whispered in his ear. And the lady was so moved and touched by the act of kindness that she decided to do the same. And she reached into her purse She got a $10 bill, and she handed it to the man, and she whispered, never despair, never despair. Well, the next day, she was at the bus stop, and the 
the shabbily dressed man, dressed the same way, came running over to her. And he handed her some money. He said, here's $110. And the lady was dumbfounded. She said, what's this? He said, you won, lady. Never despair. Paid 10 to 1. (laughs) Now, I can promise you (laughs) that our acts of kindness may not pay 10 to 1. But I can also promise you, friends, that every act of kindness that you do, whether it's for someone in this church, whether it's for someone at, in Alton, wherever, Godfrey, every act of kindness will be noticed by God. A third thing this morning from 1 Corinthians 13, love is alive when it is giving, dead when it is taking. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, love is not selfish. If love is anything, it is a giving thing. God models it better than anyone else because he gave first. In the very first church that I pastored, a little assembly guide church up the, the road here in Gillespie, Illinois, a lady asked me, what's your favorite scripture verse? And I may have told you this, I'm not sure. She did little plaques, and I said, John 3.16. I still have that. See, God loved so much that he gave, just as the trio sang a few minutes ago. To give and not be selfish means I have to run the risk of being vulnerable. For instance, what happens if I give to that person and that other person doesn't give back? What happens if I take the first step toward that person and they don't meet me? So many times, even if we want to give in a relationship, we settle for a much lower level of interaction. It becomes a matter of negotiation and exchange. I'll do this if if you do that. It's like a scorecard relationship. That's a terrible way, friends, to try to have a relationship with another person. And I believe that you'll be a loser in life's relationships if you're constantly waiting for someone else to even the score. Love's not that way. Love is about giving. Love isn't selfish. The British author C.S. Lewis, who wrote many great books, and one of those books became the movie The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he said this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. He goes on, love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to be sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. The only place, C.S. Lewis said, outside of heaven, when you can be safe from all dangers of love, is hell. Number four, love is alive when it acts like love, dead when it no longer feels or acts. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, love always protects, always trusts, 
always hopes, always perseveres. I read about a counselor who had this advice when couples came to him seeking his help for, quote, their dead marriages. He said, go home and act like you love your spouse. And the couples would question him and ask, how can we act like we're in love when we don't feel anything? The counselor said, allow your actions to determine your feelings. Allow your actions to determine your feelings. If you saw that movie, Fireproof, that is what the father of the character played by Kirk Cameron advised his son to do. His son and, his, and the, the son's wife, they were estranged. And he told his son, I want you to go home and for 40 days do acts of kindness, say words of love each day for 40 days. It wasn't easy for this husband. But God used that to restore the couple's love for each other and their marriage was saved. See, love is truly alive when it acts like love acts. And love is dead when it no longer is expressed in any actions. Time won't permit us this morning to look at all the characteristics of love found in 1 Corinthians 13. You should read it someday for yourself. But at least we have something to work with. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not selfish. Love protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. The USA newspaper columnist Cal Thomas wrote this. He says, love talked about is easily ignored, but love demonstrated is irresistible. As we close, I want to give you four thoughts on love for the new year, 2010. Number one, love now. Sometimes we wait too long to express our love to the people we love. When my mother passed away uh, July of 08, and I was at work, working for the Crisis Food Center here in Alton, and the word came from my niece that my mother had passed away in the night. And the first thing I thought is I wish I would have had another opportunity to say, Mom, I love you. Wasn't given it. But tell your children, tell your parents, tell your spouse, tell those in your small group here at Faith Fellowship, tell them that you love them. Tell them, and then show them with acts of love. Don't wait for Valentine's Day. Call them. Write them a note. Do something. Tell them today, or promise yourself that I'll tell them the next time I see them, the next time I'm with them. Number two, not only love now, but love costs. I'm not talking about just money here and flowers and candy and all of that, but love costs us time, effort, and energy. But I want to focus on another aspect of the cost of love. 
For you see, when we choose to love others, we open ourselves to the possibility of being rejected. And anyone who's experienced rejection knows how painful that is. Now, we can go through life with our arms open to others, or we can cross them and try to keep them away to protect ourselves from rejection. It's much better to have your arms open to give and receive love than to cross them and miss out on the greatest gift you can receive from another person. That's love. I believe, and I'm sure you would agree with me, that love is worth whatever cost we may have to pay, even at the risk of rejection. Number three, love is powerful. Love is powerful. I believe that love is the most powerful force in God's creation. You know, construction workers are known as being some guys, uh, and now we even have some women in construction, but I'm speaking specifically of guys who are some of the toughest and, and hardest dudes around. The story's told about a group of them that were working on a children's hospital edition in Chicago. They were working on the third floor of this addition, and it was just a few feet away where you could, the, the regular hospital was located. And one day they noticed a little girl looking out from that third floor window, watching them work all day long. One day she held up a poster to the window, and it said, My name is Lisa. Then she grabbed another poster and said, What are your names? Well, the next day, these construction workers brought some odd things to the construction site. Poster board and magic markers. And they wrote down their names. Bill, Pete, Harry. And then they wrote, how old are you? The next day, the little girl held up a sign and it said, I'm seven years old. How old are you? And this went on and on for a few days. One day, the workers noticed that uh, Lisa wasn't in the window anymore. And at coffee break, one of the guys got on his cell phone, called the third floor, asked for the head nurse and said, can you give me any information about a little girl named Lisa? It's been standing in the window all these days. She said, yeah, Lisa's taken a turn for the worse and she's in ICU. That night they got some money together. They bought Lisa a balloon bouquet and sent it to the hospital. A few days went by and the workers noticed a sign in the third floor window. It read, Lisa died yesterday. Thanks for caring. You see, I don't care how hard your heart is. I don't care what your reputation is. Love has the power to soften and change the hardest lives and change the toughest lives. Thank God for his love. And his love created everything, you and me. And he chose to have a relationship with us through his son, Jesus Christ. And God's love and Christ's obedience unto death on the cross has made it possible for us to live free from the guilt of sin and have the promise of eternal life. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 22. 
He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, finally, not only love now and love costs and love is powerful, love is unconditional. If love is what it should be, it's always unconditional. It's been said that people need to be loved the most when they deserve it the least. We should be so thankful that God's love for us is unconditional. We can never earn his love. We don't deserve his love, but it's given to us freely. You know, I want, as one of his followers, to learn to love like God loves, unconditionally. To love without imposing on others any expectations, any hoops to to jump through or or hurdles to jump over. I want to be able to love people the way God loves them. But I don't. I don't. And I pray, God, that I will learn to love others. Some of you, it's easy to love. Others, well, you know, no. (laughs) But I'm talking about people that it's hard to love. And God knows that I don't love them the way I should. We've got 362 days left in 2010. And this year we're going to have many opportunities in each of those days to show love to people in our families, our workplaces, the communities we live, our church. Galatians 5, 6 says, the only thing that counts, that's a mouthful right there, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. We're going to need some help in turning those daily opportunities into moments when God can look down from his holy heaven and say, that's it. That's what I want. That's my girl. That's my boy. They get it. And we can find help in the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because there are millions of people waiting and longing to be touched by the love of God through the followers of God here on this earth. There are many of them right here in Madison County. Thousands of them that want to be touched with God's love. And my challenge to you this morning is let's be some of the followers of Christ who will say, Here I am, Lord. Send me to love others for your kingdom's sake. 1 Corinthians 13.8 says, Love never fails. No truer statement has ever 
been written. Love never fails. In 2010, my brothers and sisters, let's be people of love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so convicted by this message. I preach to myself today, Lord, because I'm well aware of my deficiency in loving people the way you would have me love them. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you, Lord, to forgive others that would come alongside and say, David, I know what you're talking about. I'm there with you, brother. We need to learn to love others the way you love them. Let us see them with your eyes, not eyes of prejudice, not eyes of condemnation, but to see them with eyes of love, to embrace them with the Christ-like love that was showered upon us. Lord, let us start a revolution of love here in Madison County. Let us reach those that you want to be reached. We can do it. Lord, you've promised us we can do it with your help. And we say, Lord, send us. Send us from this place to love others this week. In Christ's holy name, amen.